0: Hello Encounter, it is such a privilege to be speaking with you today. Thank you Pastor Eddie for inviting me. The title for this talk is, What Needs to Happen for My Life to Change? A very important and personal question, so before I speak, please join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Bible, your inerrant, life-giving, challenging and comforting word. Please send the Holy Spirit to speak to us through it, and specifically we ask that he would teach us about himself. We request this confidently in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. The Feast of Pentecost is when the Church remembers the Holy Spirit was poured out on 120 faithful praying followers of Jesus, and simultaneously on a crowd of Jews who were gathered at the temple – of whom about 3,000 accepted Jesus as their Lord and were baptised that day. It's the day the church was born. And ever since, it's been an eagerly anticipated day as we welcome the Spirit and ask him to once again revive the church, to transform and change us, because we're the church, and empower us to impact the world with the gospel. Of course, the Holy Spirit can and does move powerfully at any time, not just at Pentecost, and we must expect him to do so. Jesus knew that any kingdom ministry is impossible without the Holy Spirit. Here are Jesus' final words in Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, verse 49. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. That's the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. That's what the Holy Spirit's going to do. And with the Holy Spirit, these disciples also received the authority and the power they would need in the spiritual realms in order to successfully carry out what's called the Great Commission that is, to make disciples of all nations. We are now Jesus' disciples. So how does someone like me and like you receive a gift like the Holy Spirit? Well, there's nothing mystical here. A good place to start is to know and to be in a healthy relationship with the giver. In this case, according to Jesus, that's the Father. Next, we need to accept the gift. We could choose to refuse it. Or we could choose to leave it unwrapped and unused, which is no different from refusing it. And finally, we need to use the gift in an appropriate manner. Because any gift can be used inappropriately. For example, if the spirit gives someone the ability to teach, they might try and draw attention to themselves for their own personal gain. Rather than teach, edify and educate people, in the gospel of grace. Over the years, I've witnessed great confusion about the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This has led amongst other things to fear, misunderstanding and division, all three of which are an anathema because the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit pours out love and not fear. He brings clarity and not confusion and unity, and not division. Now, I know that my next statement could sound blasphemous, but go with me on this. For a moment, I want you to pretend, but please don't get any delusions. I want you to pretend that you are God, the Holy Spirit. I warned you. And then ask yourself this question. Why would you, as the Holy Spirit, choose to come and minister on earth. You see, knowing the answer to why questions can be very illuminating. Have you ever wondered why you never hear the question, how did the chicken cross the road? I believe that there are four main reasons why the Holy Spirit chooses to come, and these reasons can be ranked in order of priority. What do you think they are? For the remainder of this talk, I'm going to tell you my answer, but please feel free to disagree with me. After all, none of us is the Holy Spirit, so we can all be wrong. My prayer, though, is that after this talk, you will have a different understanding of the heart of God and the ways of the Spirit, which in turn will result in positive changes in your life. The first two reasons that the Holy Spirit chooses to come are of equal importance. So first equal, the Holy Spirit chooses to come in obedience to the Father. A reminder again of those last words of Jesus in Luke's Gospel. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. Earlier in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, Jesus had promised his disciples, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who've been Christians for five years? No, it doesn't say that, does it? To so those who are members of Encounter Church. doesn't say that either. It says very simply, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's the only prerequisite we ask. The Holy Spirit is God with all the divine qualities. By definition, he is no less powerful, no less infinite, no less omniscient and no less present than the Father and the Son. He is co-equal with the Father and the Son, but he chooses to willingly submit to the Father and to obey him. The same was true for Jesus who willingly chose to submit to his Father and the Spirit. Immediately after Jesus' baptism, where the the Father publicly affirmed him and the Holy Spirit came upon him visibly in the form of a dove, we read in Luke 4 verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert. To be full of means to be submitted to, controlled by subjected to or under the influence of this meaning still lingers in english when we say i was full of anger or i was full of love meaning my anger or my love controlled me and my subsequent words and actions was because of those things whether i was angry or loving for better or for worse. We still say, I was under the influence of alcohol or drugs, which caused me to drive poorly. That's why Paul wrote in Ephesians 5.18, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, go on being filled with the Spirit. Rather than live under the influence of wine and do things that you will later regret, choose to constantly be influenced by the holy spirit and live a life which is abundant and in which you have no regrets jesus whilst he lived on earth humbled himself when he chose not to use his own rightful divine power he willingly allowed the spirit to lead him into the desert where he was tempted jesus said in john's gospel that he chose to only say what the Father told him to say and only do what the Father told him to do. But at no point did the Spirit or the Son become inferior to the Father or indeed to each other. Okay, thanks for the theology on the Trinity, but what does that mean for us, for me? Practically, as we we look at the week ahead, as we seek to welcome the Holy Spirit, as we long for our lives to be positively changed and long for ourselves to make a positive difference in the world. Well, because the Holy Spirit chooses to submit to the Father, we can see that a sign and the evidence and the expectation of a Spirit-filled Christian and indeed a Spirit-filled church is that they are willingly submitted and obedient to the Father, They can say they're spirit-filled, but if they're being disobedient to the Father, they're not. First equal, the Holy Spirit comes in obedience to the Father. And first equal, the Holy Spirit points to and glorifies Jesus Christ. Jesus taught in John chapter 16 and verse 14. He, that's the Holy Spirit, will bring glory to me, that's Jesus, by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. The members of the Trinity do things first and foremost for each other, for the other two members, and not primarily for us humans. We are not the centre of the universe. It does not revolve around us. Which means that when Jesus went to the cross, he did so primarily for the Father and the Spirit, and secondarily, and wonderfully, for the rest of creation. Although this might at first feel a bit jarring, since I instinctively want God to act primarily for me, this is actually very good news indeed. Why? Because the Spirit's actions are thankfully not determined on my performance, on whether I am worthy or not worthy, which I guarantee I'm not worthy. <laughs> the Spirit comes to me because of His love for the Father and the Son and his choice to willingly submit to them. So another mark, another sign of a Spirit-filled Christian and a Spirit-filled church is that they are unashamedly and intentionally pointing to and giving glory to Jesus. We can tell when our corporate worship is led by the Holy Spirit, Because the songs we sing, the words we pray, the talks which are given, indeed, all of our lives, individually and corporately, will be joyfully centred on Jesus. Of course, it's not wrong to focus on the Father and the Spirit. But our primary focus must be to fix our thoughts on Jesus. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. To fix our eyes on Jesus. Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, to long to bring glory to, you guessed it, Jesus. And when we do this, guess what? We please both the Father and the Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we read the last words Jesus spoke before his ascension but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, our attitude and our priorities change. We discover that we are both wonderfully empowered, but more than that, we discover that we want to be witnesses to the person of Jesus so we can do it we've got the power but now we have the desire to do it and we want to tell everyone about what Jesus achieved on the cross you see everything changes in us when we receive and experience for ourselves the amazing love of God we love because God first loved us First John chapter 4 verse 19 And this love of God compels us from within to tell others. That was Paul's experience, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. But there's a catch. Because the Bible tells us that this love can only be received one way. And that is by the Holy Spirit. Romans 5, verse 5. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. The picture here is of a super abundance, a pouring out of love like the Niagara Falls. I, I'm sure most of you have visited the falls. And if you did, the one question you didn't ask is I wonder if we're going to run out of water. There's oodles. There's plenty for me. There's masses for you. There's torrents left over for everyone else. Likewise, the Spirit pours so much love into us that we are completely filled up. We receive all that we need. In fact, we discover that we have plenty left over with which to love the Lord, to love ourselves, and then from that overflow to love everyone around us. Ephesians 3.18 tells us that this love is infinite and inexhaustible. It's impossible to measure its length or its width or its breadth or its depth or its height or you name it, you can't measure it. The more we receive this love from the Holy Spirit, the more we can give it away to others. And the more we give it away, the more we receive and the more we receive, the more we give. And it's a virtuous circle. 12 days after my sister-in-law accepted Jesus as her Lord, on a day on the Alpha course when we were teaching on the Holy Spirit, I was teaching and then she went, I'm in. And she accepted Jesus as Lord. A marvelous moment, never forget it. St. Patrick's Day, 2007. She called me up though 12 days later. She had a question. She said, am I doing the right thing? And I replied, well, that depends on what you're doing. And she said, well, I'm telling all my friends about Jesus and I'm inviting them to do the Alpha course. So I said, well, that sounds good. What's the response? Oh, so far, all 12 of them have said yes. And this is what she said afterwards. So telling, so marvelous. It's so easy. I don't know why every Christian isn't telling their friends. Yeah. First equal, the Holy Spirit comes in obedience to the Father. First equal, the Holy Spirit points to and glorifies Christ, Jesus Our Lord, our friend, our redeemer, our king. Third, the Holy Spirit chooses to come in order to work in the lives of individuals. If you're honest, I suspect that most of you thought that this was the primary reason the Spirit chooses to come. Now, the Holy Spirit works in the lives of individual unbelievers and individual believers. Unbelievers are those who have not yet put their faith in Jesus as their only Lord. The only verse in the Bible that I'm aware of that details this work of the Holy Spirit is John chapter 16 and verse 8. Jesus speaking, when he, he's referring here to the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. When John, the author, uses the word world, He's referring to people who are living their lives in rebellion to God's rule. They are unbelievers. And this is of the greatest concern to God the Trinity, for he desires no one to perish. So he relentlessly pursues the unbeliever. The Father's great love for all people compelled him to send his own son to rescue us. The Son, because of his great love, willingly identified with all people and became sin on the cross. And now he desires that his incredible sacrifice was not in vain. This explains why unbelievers often feel uncomfortable in the presence of God, because he's on their case. He's not prepared to pander to them and lie and say, don't worry, you're a nice, good person, you'll be all right. No, The stark truth is that anyone who has not put their trust in Jesus will perish, no matter how nice and good they are. And I've no doubt they're nicer and gooder than me. Is gooder a word? I don't know, but I'm sure they're that. But they're going to perish without Jesus. The word condemnation literally means, con means with, damnation. Therefore, to condemn someone means to Damn them. That is very negative and hopeless. That is the language of Satan, the accuser. By contrast, the word convict literally means con with victory. To convict means to bring someone to a place of victory. To bring hope and new life. Satan condemns God the Holy Spirit convicts. Jesus was teaching that the Holy Spirit convicts unbelievers of three things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin is the position of wrong relationship with God that everyone is born into. We have a positional-based faith, not a performance-based one, which is a relief. The result of sin is that people live without God at the centre of their lives. So first... The Spirit tells people the bad news. They are in a position of sin, wrong relationship with God. Romans 6, 23, the first part, the wages, the consequences of sin is death. We will die spiritually. We will be eternally separated from the goodness of God. Then then once they are aware of their desperate situation, the Spirit tells them the good news, righteousness, righteousness. Righteousness is also a position. Remember, we have a positional based faith. It's the position of right relationship with the father as his daughter or his son. This position can only be received when a person puts their faith in Jesus as their only Lord. On the cross, Jesus took not only our place and our sin when he became sin, but he also gives us his righteousness his position as the much-loved Son of the Father. If you'd like to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 later, one verse explains all that I have just said. Finally, the Spirit makes it clear to every person, whatever their position, position of sin, position of righteousness, that we will all face Jesus the Judge. So best be prepared and be in the position of righteousness, As Hebrews 9.27 states, just as a person is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. That's the compassionate ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the unbeliever. But most of his work is in the lives of believers, children of the Father. They're the ones who are by grace Spirit-filled and Spirit-submitted. Now, I'm going to quickly list some of the wonderful benefits of that. I hope you've got some some notes with this talk, which gives you these points and the references. You'll find them in the scriptures. So, children of the Father, full of the Spirit, know Jesus and are known by him. They know the Father well enough to call him Abba, Dad. They receive the love of God poured into their hearts. I already mentioned that one. They're given a new heart and moved to keep his holy moral laws from within. Their minds are renewed as they take every thought captive to Christ. In fact, they have the mind of Christ and a greater knowledge of God. They keep in step with the Spirit. When they're weak, they receive the Spirit's help, especially to pray. They have the spirit of unity. They allow the Spirit to grow in them, the fruit of maturity. And they receive spiritual gifts, the tools to do the ministry for God's glory. That's pretty good, isn't it? According to John the Baptist, the sign of the Messiah was that he would baptise with the Holy Spirit and with fire, Luke 3.16. Therefore, a mark of a Spirit-filled Christian and a Spirit-filled church is that they are continuously filled with the Spirit. In fact, the Father's children are humbly and painfully aware that they cannot live the Christian life unless they do so in the power of the Holy Spirit. And only what they do in the power of the Spirit will have lasting eternal value. First equal, the Holy Spirit comes in obedience to the Father. First equal, the Holy Spirit points to and glorifies Jesus Christ. Third, the Holy Spirit chooses to come in order to work in the lives of individuals. You probably think this is where the sermon should end. But God disagrees with you. It never ends with me. It always moves to we. God's plan is always corporate. He wants me to turn my eyes away from myself and onto my sisters and brothers and neighbours. The fourth reason the Holy Spirit chooses to come is to build and edify the church. The body of christ the bride of christ the holy spirit is passionate about jesus and he wants to present to the son the bridegroom on his wedding day a beautiful perfect holy complete bride the church now we know it's a work in progress because the likes of me are members of the church but revelation 22:17, right at the end of the book reveals that the Bride is present in the new heaven. It's paramount that we understand how much the Holy Spirit loves the Church. I think this comes as a bit of a shock to many Christians. We're so self-centred, especially here in the West, that we genuinely believe that it's all about moi, me. We've emphasised the individual salvation so much that the Church is seen as a bit of an afterthought, something we can take or leave, something we can survive without, something we certainly don't have to take seriously, or at least not as a priority. And COVID isolation and separation, coupled with Zoom and its equivalents, has exacerbated this. The Holy Spirit is calling us together to worship, to bring glory to the Trinity. He's drawing us together into the Father's presence to be his family, to welcome the newcomers, to pray for the sick, to comfort the hurting, to embrace the lonely, to encourage the faithful and to equip the saints. It's paramount that we understand just how much Jesus loves the church his bride, so much so that he laid down his life for her, which leads to a hard teaching. We, too, are called to be martyrs, to lay down our lives for the church, the bride. Historically, that's how the church has always grown. So unlike this individualistic, me-centred, me-first society, God's community puts others first. John 15 verse 13, no greater love than that a person should lay down their life for their friends. This side of heaven, what should our outward-looking, spirit-filled, Jesus-glorifying, Father-pleasing life look like? The Holy Spirit calls us and he equips us to edify and beautify the bride, Jesus' church, To win as many as possible for the kingdom of God that means to depopulate hell, the position of sin and populate heaven, the position of righteousness and then to disciple all the people there in the position of righteousness in Christ-like attitude and behaviour. So a mark of the Spirit-filled Christian and the Spirit-filled church is that they are passionate for the lost and sacrificial for the bride. As I close... A reminder of the title for this talk. What needs to happen for my life to change? Paul wrote in Galatians 5.25, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, we need to make the Spirit's priorities our priorities. For our lives to be positively transformed, then in the power of the Holy Spirit, we should all seek to obey and submit to the Father to glorify and witness to Jesus, to be passionate for the lost and prepared to sacrifice for the church and to be continuously filled and totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit for every aspect of our lives. Let's pray together. Loving Father, thank you for welcoming us in as your children all the time and at any time. Please help us to live each day wholeheartedly for you and for your kingdom. Lord Jesus, thank you for demonstrating your love for us by willingly submitting to the Holy Spirit and choosing to die in our place on the cross. Please help us this week, as your disciples, to be your witnesses to everyone whom we meet. Holy Spirit, thank you for pouring out your love into our hearts. As we choose to come under your control and influence, in your mighty power, please help us to edify the church, reach the lost and make disciples. We ask all these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful, spirit-filled, spirit-led week. God bless you.